Thanks for joining us on the Crenshaw Christian Center New York podcast. And remember these words, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Let's jump into the lesson. Well, tonight we're actually going to begin a series that I trust will be interesting for all of us. The title of this series is A Closer Look at 12 Ordinary Men. Now, we will study the lives of the 12 initial or original disciples. And I chose the words initial and original because as Christians, we too are disciples of Jesus. We will discover throughout our study how similar we are to these 12 ordinary men. Most importantly, we will learn how we are destined toward greatness even more. Now, for those of you who consider yourself students of the word, and for those of you who are diligent note takers, this is a series where you will need to have paper and pen handy. Today is gonna to be pretty light because I'm setting up the foundation. And we all know that on anything that's going to be you know, strong or of any substance, you need a good foundation, right? So tonight we're really gonna start the foundation of the series. But we're gonna be going through a lot of different scriptures and you're probably gonna to wanna to know about them to refer back to them later. So that's why I'm just telling you to go ahead and make sure you always have a paper, you know, paper and pen handy. As many of you know, <laughs> I tend to pose unusual questions and then delve into the word to find the answers. That seems to kind of be what I do. I seldom take things at face value, which means even as a child, I never did. <laughs> um, I appreciate, though, you're coming along with me on this journey regarding these 12 ordinary men. And I believe that we're gonna glean wisdom as a result of our journey. I also think that we're gonna find that we identify with these men the same way our parents did and the generations before them. And that really is very interesting when we think about it. We will find that these 12 men have a lot in common with each of us. We will see some of our own characteristics as well as traits of other people that we may know. The Bible does a great job of chronicling the good, the bad, and the ugly about these ordinary men, as well as their triumphs and endearing features, because they had some of those too. We can learn a lot from them. Just think, how would you like people to read about our lives the same way that millions have read about these men? Now, we may not ever reach millions as they have, since we are not chronicled in scripture. However, as Christians, we are still the only Bible that many people will ever read. With that said, let's take a closer look at these ordinary men. I use the word ordinary because it best describes these men. There was nothing that you would consider special about them. None of them could claim to be highly educated. They were not considered orators or theologians. As a matter of fact, they were men that nowadays would actually be considered part of the done generation, which is very interesting. In other words, they were considered outsiders as far as religious, as the religious establishment of Jesus's day was concerned. You may, like when you stop and think about it, I think oftentimes we think, okay, 
the 12, you know, original disciples. They must have just been these spiritual men that were just basking at the feet of Jesus and, you know, whatever we have painted in our mind of how they were. Well, that is not at all how they were, <laughs> which is what I thought was very interesting. In other words, they were really considered outsiders as far as everybody in the religious circles looked at them. They just, it's sort of like, really? You know, that's how they were looked at. Um, and when you think about it, Christians today tend to turn up their noses at people who we think should attend church service every week or they fail to attend Bible study faithfully as we do. Sometimes we do have a tendency to look at them like they're less than or how come they're not doing that or they're not really devout Christians because they're not doing that. However, we're gonna see that Jesus, on the other hand, when it came to looking at these men that he chose, he didn't look at all that. Rather, he looked at their heart. And if you know of anyone, actually, who professes to be a part of the done generation and displays characteristics to be so, there's usually a reason. And I strongly suggest that you pray and see how the Holy Spirit guides you I'm sure you will end up being enlightened and you'll know just how to proceed moving forward. The important thing is not to be judgmental and remember that everyone has their own unique story to tell. The original disciples of Jesus were not outstanding at all because of any natural talents or intellectual abilities. Actually, they were more prone to mistakes, misstatements, negative attitudes, weak faith, and failure. Jesus himself referred to the fact that they were slow learners and could miss things spiritually. Turn with me to Luke's Gospel, and we're gonna look at chapter 24. Luke's Gospel, chapter 24. Let me know that you're there by saying amen. Okay. We're gonna look at verses 24 through 27. And first we're gonna read it out of the New King James Version. And it says, and certain of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it was just as the women had said, but him they did not see. Then he said to them, "O oh, foolish ones and slow of heart to believe in all that the prophets have spoken. Ought not the Christ to have suffered these things and to enter into his glory. And beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded to them and all the scriptures, the things concerning him. Now I'm gonna share it with you out of the message because it breaks it down, I think, a lot clearer. And it says, he said, what has happened? They said, that, now let me set this up because if you're not really following it, it's not gonna make sense. This is when uh, the women had gone to the tomb looking for Jesus' body. Okay, and they are then coming back and they're explaining to the disciples that his body is not there. Now they, the disciples, aren't even recognizing that Jesus is even in their midst because they're just like, oh, he's not there, you know, and they're going through their whole thing of, you know, they don't understand and blah, blah, blah. So that's the beginning of how the scene really is. So now the message, he said, what has happened? They said, the things that happened to Jesus the Nazarene, he was a man of God, a prophet, dynamic in work and word, blessed by both God and all the people. 
Then our high priests and leaders betrayed him, got him sentenced to death, and crucified him. And we had our hopes up that he was the one, the one about to deliver Israel. And it is now the third day since it happened. But now some of our women have completely confused us. Early this morning, they were at the tomb and couldn't find his body. They came back with the story that they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Some of our friends went off to the tomb to check and found it was empty, just as the women said, but they didn't see Jesus. Then he said to them, so thick-headed, so slow-hearted, why can't you simply believe all that the prophet said? Don't you see that these things had to happen, that the Messiah had to suffer and only then enter into his glory? Then he started at the beginning with the book of Moses and went on through all the prophets, pouring out everything in the scriptures that referred to him. In other words, he had to literally sit there and try to bring back to their remembrance, obviously it is me because this is why I'm telling you all of these different things. But they, these same men who had walked with him and had done everything with him were so like spiritually slow. I mean, that's how he put it, that they weren't even catching on what was actually happening. So the question becomes, how did Jesus choose these 12 ordinary men to be his disciples? Were there no other men available at the time? And that's why he got stuck with these 12, okay? Let's look at Luke's gospel. You're in Luke, so just go to the sixth chapter. And we're gonna look at Luke six, and we're gonna read verses 12 through 16. And let's see, okay. Let's read it out of the New King James Version first. So this is Luke six, starting with verse 12. Now it came to pass in those days that he went out to the mountain to pray and continued all night in prayer to God. Now see, I'm gonna pause there. I think that's something that's very interesting. Now this is Jesus, okay? Granted, when he was on earth, he was, he did not come, he was always sovereign as the son of God. However, he did not come with all of the power that we think of. He didn't operate in that. You know, we think, okay, he was the son of God, so he came down and he operated with all that power. He didn't have to exercise his faith and all the rest of that. We just kind of put him in that category, but that's not the case. He was in, in a place in time where he needed some answers. So what did he do? He went and he prayed. He didn't pray for 15 minutes and then get up and say, okay, that's the end of it. It specifically says that he continued all night in prayer to God. Now I say that because so often as believers, we just think we're just supposed to say something for five and 10 minutes and that's it and keep on getting up. That's just not how it works. We need to have fellowship with our Father. We need to, and I'm not trying to say you have to sit on your face and pray, you know, for two, you know, 24 hours. What I'm saying is we need to take our prayer lives more seriously because Jesus himself did so we can learn from that. So back to the scripture, picking up at verse 13. And when it was day, he called his disciples to himself and from them he chose 12 whom he also named apostles. Very interesting, okay? Simon, whom he also named Peter and Andrew, his brother, James and John, Philip and Bartholomew, Matthew and Thomas, James the son of Alphaeus, and Simon called the Zealot, Judas the son of James, and Judas Iscariot, who also became a traitor. 
If we look at it in the Amplified, because again, you know why I like the Amplified, it gives you qualifiers to each thing. So the Amplified version, starting at verse 12, says, Now at this time, Jesus went off to the mountain to pray, and he spent the whole night in prayer to God. When day came, he called his disciples and selected 12 of them, whom he also named apostles. Here's the qualifier. What is an apostle? Special messengers, personally chosen representatives. That is the qualifier for these apostles that he called. Simon, who he also named Peter and his brother Andrew, and the brothers, James and John, and Philip and Bartholomew, also called Nathaniel, and Matthew, Levi, the tax collector, and Thomas, and James, the son of Alphaeus, and Simon, who was called a zealot. Judas, also called Thaddeus, the son of James, and Judas Iscariot, who became a traitor to the Lord. Now, notice, which I always thought is interesting, we don't hear that much about Bartholomew. Who talks about him? I mean, do we really talk about that? No, but we're going to find out about him, which I think is so interesting. But anyway... Um, the other thing in looking at this for the note takers, in general, the word apostle through scripture always means sent one or messenger. That's actually what it means. And in this passage and in others, in reference to the 12 people that we're talking about, the word apostles is used in a technical sense of the 12 disciples, and later Paul, whom Jesus chose. And that's a whole special thing, because he was specially chosen. So he was an apostle set apart and different than the 12 original disciples slash apostles. So we're going to learn about that a little bit later on, but I think that's very interesting too. So an apostle was one, and this is who Paul actually was, one who had witnessed Christ's resurrection. And you can jot this down in your notes because we're not going to go over it, but you can look at Acts, the first chapter, verses 21 and 22. And in Paul's case, had seen the resurrected Christ, you can jot down 1 Corinthians, the ninth chapter, verses 1 and 2. They validated their apostleship by performing signs and wonders and miracles. And that you can find in 2 Corinthians, the 12th chapter and the 12th verse. And all of this is part of the foundation of the church. Now, the reason I'm not going into reading all these scriptures is because I'm really trying to stay at the task on hand about these 12 ordinary men. But all of that is very, very interesting. So that's why if you, you, know, if you really want to study further. And I always think people who come on Thursday night, you are extra precious to me for this reason. People come to church on Sunday and we love them and we appreciate them coming on Sunday because that's a wonderful thing. Whenever we can gather together and feast upon the word, it's a wonderful thing to do. People sometimes come on Sunday because that's what you do. You know, you go to church on Sunday. But people who come on Thursday or come out during the week, I feel like you really need some extra meat because you took that extra out of your life to come. So when you hear me sometimes give you all this other stuff I found, it's because that's that extra little meat or the gravy on your meat, however you want to look at it, okay, that I feel you deserve. So that's why I do it, okay? All right. So all of that was actually based off the 13th verse of Luke 6, which we just read. Um, now, if you're really interested, the 14th verse talks about the sons of Zebedee and Salome. 
Um, Salome is believed, now this is interesting because I didn't really think about this. Salome is believed to be the sister of Mary, the mother of Jesus. So see, there you can start to see the connection, you know, and it's like, oh, I wonder if he picked one of them, you know, because of that, mm, we'll see. Um, and then the 15th verse, um, we're talking about James, and it's James the less or James the younger. His mother, Mary, is believed to be a sister or sister-in-law of Mary, the mother of Jesus. I know, that's a lot to wrap your head around. Uh, but anyway, it's interesting nonetheless. So please note that this group of men spanned the spectrum. We already read, one had been a tax collector, okay? A traitor, now this is interesting. He was a traitor to the Jewish nation and in collusion with Rome. I thought that was really interesting. Now that's Matthew. Matthew, we read all about Matthew. Well, this is how Matthew started out. Another was a former zealot, a radical person who was determined to overthrow Roman rule. That was Simon the Canaanite. Now at least four of these men, and possibly seven, we're not 100% sure, were fishermen and close friends from I can't, I see it and I'm saying it, and it's like for some reason under my pause, from Capernaum. Most likely, now this is, and this week, for those of us who went and saw the play uh, at Sight and Sound of Jesus, most likely these fishermen were actually friends since childhood. Because when you think of the culture of the region, if you were a fisherman, you know, and your father was a fisherman, it was kind of like passed down from generation to generation. So they all kind of like played around on the boats when we saw the play. And they were really very close friends. So they probably were, if we were going to use probability to say that they were this way from the time that they were actually children. Now the other men, we are probably, we're going to assume were tradesmen or craftsmen because they were not people like, you know, they had to go and tell their boss that I'm leaving now to go follow Jesus. So they were in some form of business or something that they could put their own hand to. Um, however, the scripture does not tell us what they did before following Christ. So we don't really know what Bartholomew did per se, maybe, you know, or some of the others, we're not 100% sure. Most of them were from Galilee. That's interesting too. And it remained their home base for most of Jesus's ministry. Currently, people still are under the assumption and believe that they were from Jerusalem in Judea. That's what they're just thinking, which was the religious and political capital uh, it, is, it was the religious capital of Israel. So people just automatically kind of assume that's where they were from, but it was not. What is quite interesting is that with all of their flaws, as ordinary as these men were, they carried on ministry after Jesus was crucified and his ascension. They also left an impact that still influences us today. You may ask, how is this possible? What did they do so special and how did they do it? The answer is really very simple. God graciously empowered and used these men to inaugurate the spread of the gospel message. In doing that, they turned the world upside down. Turn with me to Acts, Acts the 17th chapter, and we're gonna see exactly what they did. Acts 17, and we're going to look at verses 2 through 7. And I'm going to share it with you out of the Amplified. 
starting with verse 2. And Peter entered the synagogue, as was his custom. And for three Sabbaths, he engaged in discussion and friendly debate with them from the scriptures, explaining and pointing out scriptural evidence that it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and rise from the dead and saying, this Jesus, whom I am proclaiming to you, is the Christ, the Messiah, the anointed. And some of them were persuaded to believe and joined Paul and Silas, along with a large number of God-fearing Greeks and many of the leading women. But the unbelieving Jews became jealous and taking along some thugs, <laughs> I think this is so interesting. We think thugs are a big deal and it's something that's new now. They talk about thugs back in this time. I thought that was interesting. Okay, and take along some thugs from the lowlifes in the marketplace. They formed a mob and set the city in an uproar and then attacking Jason's house, tried to bring Paul and Silas out to the people. But when they failed to find them, they dragged Jason and some brothers before the city authorities, shouting, these men who have turned the world upside down have come here too. And Jason has welcomed them into his house and protected them. And they all are saying things contrary to the decrees of Caesar, actually claiming that there is another king, Jesus. Ordinary people, just like you and me, were used by the Most High God to get the message of Jesus, the Christ, spread to the ends of the earth. Notice, it wasn't easy sometimes. I mean, you know, they faced persecution. You know, they, they went through some things. They faced naysayers and opposition most times, but they persevered and played a part in changing the history of the world. Since they did that as plain ordinary folks, Shouldn't we, as born-again, spirit-filled believers, be able to witness to others? Shouldn't we be able to share the gospel with our family and friends? Or are we supposed to keep it a secret? Suppose they did that. Where would we be today? That's something to think about. These 12 men were personally selected by Jesus the Christ. He knew things about them that only their creator could know. For example, let's look at John's gospel, the first chapter. John's gospel, the first chapter, and we're going to look at verse 47. In the New King James Version, it says, Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him and said of him, Behold, an Israelite indeed, in whom is no deceit. The Amplified says, Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him and said of him, Here is an Israelite indeed, a true descendant of Jacob, in whom there is no guile, nor deceit, nor duplicity. And the message says, when Jesus saw him coming, he said, There's a real Israelite, not a false bone in his body. Now, he saw him coming to him. How did he know that? He knew that because obviously he had spent all night in prayer with God and I'm sure received counsel on who it was he was supposed to choose. Just like if we take time in any situation and we spend any length of time praying in the spirit where we are tapping directly into 
the throne room of God, he will direct us and give to us words of knowledge and wisdom so that we know how to move forward and do some of the things that we need to do in life. Just seems so simple. Jesus knew all their faults before he chose them. He even knew that Judas would betray him. He knew that. Turn with me. You're in John already, so just go right on over to the sixth chapter. And we're going to look at verse 70. John, the sixth chapter, and we're going to look at verse 70. And in the New King James Version, it says, Jesus answered them, Did I not choose you, the twelve, and one of you is a devil? In the Amplify, he said, Jesus answered them, Did I not choose you, the twelve disciples, and yet one of you is a devil, ally of Satan? The message says, Jesus responded, haven't I handpicked you, the 12? Still, one of you is a devil. He was referring to Judas, son of Simon Iscariot. This man, one from the 12, was even then getting ready to betray him. Jesus knew, of course, he knew all of that. Go, you're in John, let's just stay there. Go to the 13th chapter. And we're going to look at verses 21 through 27. Because here Jesus is actually going to tell them about the betrayal. So this is John 13. And we're going to start with the 21st verse. And I'm going to share it with you out of the Amplified Version. After Jesus had said these things, he was troubled in spirit and testified and said, I assure you and most solemnly say to you, One of you will betray me and hand me over. The disciples began began looking at one another, puzzled and disturbed as to whom he could mean. One of his disciples, whom Jesus loved, esteemed, was leaning against Jesus' chest. So Simon Peter motioned to him, John, and quietly asked him to ask Jesus of whom he was speaking. Then leaning back against Jesus' chest, he, John, asked him, meaning Jesus, privately, Lord, who is it? Jesus answered, it is the one to whom I'm going to give this piece of bread after I have dipped it. So when he had dipped the piece of bread into the dish, he gave it to Judas, son of Simon Iscariot. After Judas had taken the piece of bread, Satan entered him. Then Jesus said to him, what you are going to do, do quickly without delay. Even knowing that Jesus was the traitor, he chose him and gave him all the privileges and blessings that he gave the others. That, when you think about it, is really very interesting. Because, you know, you could sit and just meditate on that in the sense that, you know, we're not so gracious like that in any way, shape, or form. Um, (laughs) We have a hard time, as a matter of fact, speaking to one of our brothers or sisters who did not agree with us about something or who did not smile at us when they saw us last week. You know, it's true. You know, I mean, it's funny. There is someone who I know who I didn't agree with about something, and ever since then they haven't even spoken to me. I'll speak with them, they'll look the other way. 
And so it's not, I mean, I'm not hurt. I just pray for them, you know. But it's interesting to me because it's like, you got to be kidding me. Really? Okay. So in other words, I have to like, like you might like pistachio ice cream, which I really don't like. Sam loves pistachio ice cream. <laughs> no. I really like chocolate. We all know that, right? So what am I going to do? Have a fit if you want to eat pistachio or boysenberry or whatever you want to eat? No. Why should I be concerned about that? So if for some reason or another we can't agree on a specific thing, you know, like you might be a person who absolutely loves the New York Knicks as a basketball team. I did too when I was 11 years old. Now we're not going to count how far ago that was, but that was about as how long ago it was that they were good. Okay, the point is, I, well, in my opinion, in my opinion. Now for people who love them, again, my husband will look at them. I do not bother. I am a West Coast girl, okay? So for years I loved the Lakers. I still will look at the Lakers. But of course, you know, I love Golden State. The point being is we can agree to disagree. That doesn't mean that we love each other any less. We just have different tastes. That's why we have a soul. That's what makes us unique. It's perfectly okay. Jesus knew this man was going to betray him. He knew what he was going to do. But still, he treated him with the same grace, love, and kindness as he did all of the others. We can learn from that. I thought that was a really powerful lesson. Just, you know, it's easy to love people who are just going to agree with you and think you're the greatest thing since pound cake. Everybody can do that. But when you have somebody who gives you just a little bit of opposition, you still should be able to love them. And when you see somebody who's really acting very nasty and ugly, you still need to still be able to love them too. Because if the love of God is within you, that should just be something that just oozes out of you freely. And if it doesn't, you might want to put a check on that. It's important, so important, that we remember this because, like I said to you before, we may be the only Bible that a person reads. So think about this for a moment. From your own human perspective, spreading the good news of Jesus, which we know is the gospel, and the founding of the church was based entirely on 12 men whose most outstanding characteristic was the fact that they were just simply ordinary. They were chosen by Jesus and trained for a relatively short period of time. See, that's something else that's interesting because when we really start following their lives and think of all the things that they did, you know, you start thinking, oh my goodness, they just sat under, you know, sat with the Lord and just, oh, all of this time he was just training them. And, you know, you really kind of, part of your brain just kind of goes in that direction. Okay, well, guess what? We would be wrong because that's not what happened at all. He really spent a very short period of time. Based upon their assigned task, people do think it was years of training. That a lot of people think that. Instead, their training should really be measured in months opposed to years. Jesus taught them through scriptures, of course. He also taught them to be disciplined in godly living. Something else we can learn from them. He taught them and showed them how to pray, how to forgive, and how to serve one another in a loving manner with humility. He gave them moral instruction as well as speaking to them of things to come. Now, I thought this was interesting because we have the Holy Spirit 
that does that for us now. We just have to yield to him. He will tell us of things to come. He will teach us. He will, all of those things. So we do have that. So again, when Jesus left us, he didn't leave us orphans. He left us like he said, it's better that I go. He left us with the Holy Spirit who will do all of those things for us. We just have to yield to him. He indeed used them. Now he used these men, these apostles, these disciples, he used them as instruments to heal the sick, to cast out demons, and other miraculous works. Peter, now this is the interesting part, Peter, James, and John, they were really, really to me, really blessed because they got a brief glimpse of Jesus in his glory on the Mount of Transfiguration. Turn with me to Matthew's Gospel because it shows us that there. Matthew's Gospel, the 17th chapter. And we're going to look at verses 1 through 9. And I'm going to share it with you out of the Amplified because I just happen to really like this one. Again, it has all the qualifiers. So this is Matthew 17, starting with verse number 1. Six days later... Jesus took with him Peter and James and John, the brother of James, and led them up on a high mountain by themselves. And his appearance changed dramatically in their presence. And his face shone with heavenly glory, clear and bright like the sun. And his clothing became as white as light. And behold, Moses and Elijah appeared to them, talking with Jesus. Then Peter began to speak and said to Jesus, Lord, it is good and delightful and auspicious that we are here. If you wish, I will put up three sacred tents here, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. While he was still speaking, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them, and a voice from the cloud said, This is my beloved son, with whom I am well pleased and delighted listen to him. When the disciples heard it, they fell on their faces and were terrified. But Jesus came and touched them and said, get up and do not be afraid. And when they looked up, they saw no one except Jesus himself alone. And as they were going down the mountain, Jesus commanded them, do not tell anyone what you have seen until the son of man has been raised from the dead. With all that, though, now, all that that we just read and these three men got to see this and all of that, with all that, they had been given what I would consider intense fellowship that they were able to endure with the master because there was so much that he imparted to them in such a short period of time. That's why I call it intense. Not intense fellowship like they were arguing, but intense fellowship like all that he imparted to them. The interesting thing, though, is they went back to some of their old ways on the night of Jesus's betrayal. Instead of standing strong and holding fast to their faith, what did they do? They fled. Just like some of us, this is why I'm saying, we can look at them and put ourselves in juxtaposition to some of the behavior that they exhibited. Because just like some of us, what do we do? In the midst of our disappointments in life, we either misplace or become weak in our faith. We suffer defeat as a result of that, 
And then we have the nerve to blame God or be upset with him when in fact it was us all along. Turn with me to Matthew. And we're going to look at, you already in Matthew, just go over to the 26th chapter. Matthew 26, and we are going to start at verse 47. We're going to read verses 47 through 56, and I'm going to share it out of the Amplified. And it says, as Jesus was still speaking, Judas Iscariot, one of the 12 disciples, came up accompanied by a large crowd with swords and clubs who came as representatives from the chief priests and elders of the people. Now the betrayer had given him a sign, given them a sign rather, saying, whomever I kiss, he is the one, seize him. Immediately, Judas went to Jesus and said, greetings, rejoice, Rabbi. And he kissed him in a deliberate act of betrayal. Jesus said to Judas, friend, do what you came for. Then they came and seized Jesus and arrested him. And one of those who were with Jesus reached out and drew his sword and struck Malchus, the slave of the high priest, and cut off his ear. Then Jesus said to him, I thought this was interesting too, put your sword back in its place for all those who habitually draw the sword will die by the sword. Do you think that I cannot appeal to my father and he will immediately provide me with more than 12 legions of angels? How then will the scriptures be fulfilled that it must happen this way? At that moment, Jesus said to the crowds, have you come out with swords and clubs to arrest me as you would against a robber? Day after day, I used to sit in the porches and courts of the temple teaching, and you did not arrest me. But all this has taken place so that the scriptures of the prophets would be fulfilled. Then all the disciples deserted him and fled. That is really, really interesting and very disappointing. The disciples, however, seemed to forget everything Jesus had ever taught them about continuing their ministry and following him. They looked at the situation and considered it all a failure. Now this is something, because this isn't in my notes, but my head again goes in so many different directions. People can sit and receive some of the best teaching on this side of heaven. And they can sit and see what they think is a failure and flee. Wow. So this goes back to when I said in another teaching about how Crenshaw Christian Center New York is the nucleus, the brain and real brainchild and force of the apostle Frederick Casey Price. But you will have believers who will look at what they think is not as they think it should be, and they will deem it to be failure, just like these original disciples did. And what will they do? They will flee. But for those of us, praise God, who can look beyond that, who can still hold on to our faith and never lose what we know to be the truth, glory be to God.
Well, praise God. That was not in here, but it was meant for somebody. <laughs> so, however, what these wonderful men did, after being encouraged by the risen Lord, they returned to their calling as apostles. Given the power of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost, they boldly returned to what they had originally been called to do as apostles. The work that they began then, it still continues today, 2,000 years later. It is living proof that God's strength is made perfect in weakness. It is clear that these 12 men were not sufficient for the task at hand based upon themselves. Rather, it was God who led them to triumph in Christ. And I will show it to you. Turn with me to 2 Corinthians, and we're going to look at chapter 2 and read verses 14 through 17. 2 Corinthians chapter 2. And starting with verse 14, and I'm going to share it, of course, out of the Amplified, it says, But thanks be to God, who always leads us in triumph in Christ, and through us spreads and makes evident everywhere the sweet fragrance of the knowledge of him. For we are the sweet fragrance of Christ, which ascends to God, discernible both among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. To the latter, one an aroma from death to death, a fatal offensive odor, but to the other an aroma from life to life, a vital fragrance, living and fresh. And who is adequate and sufficiently qualified for these things? For we are not like many, acting like merchants, peddling God's word, shortchanging and adulterating God's message, but from pure uncompromised motives, as commissioned and sent from God, we speak his message in Christ in the sight of the God. We can better appreciate the short time that the original disciple spent with Christ when we consider the fact that his entire ministry from the time of baptism to resurrection only lasted approximately three years. That's really something when you think about it. I mean, we can think back three years. What have we, well, I want to talk about what have we done. But just, you know, how time is just speeding by? Well, all of this happened in approximately three years. The intensive training of these 12 men was only, though, about half that long. Okay? Which makes it, what, a year and a half? Okay? Or 18 months. That's why we could measure it more in months. As a matter of fact, Jesus determined and called the 12 men from a larger group of his followers when half of his earthly ministry was already completed. Isn't that interesting? Turn with me to Matthew. And we're going to look at the 10th chapter of Matthew, verses 1 through 4. And I'm going to share it with you out of the message first. And it says, The prayer was no sooner prayed than it was answered. Jesus called 12 of his followers and sent them into the right fields. He gave them power to kick out the evil spirits and to tenderly care for the bruised and hurt lives. This is the list of the 12 he sent. Simon, they called him Peter or Rock, Andrew, his brother, James, Zebedee's son, John, his brother, Philip, Bartholomew, Thomas, Matthew, the tax man, James, son of Alphaeus, 
Thaddeus, Simon the Canaanite, Judas Iscariot, who later turned on him. Now, when we look at the first couple of verses, if you look at it out of the New King James Version, I like the fact that it says, and when he called his 12 disciples to him, he gave them power over unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal all kinds of sicknesses and all kinds of disease. And then, of course, he goes into naming who the 12 disciples are again. Now, we can also refer back to Luke, the sixth chapter, which we had read earlier, only this time I'm going to share it with you out of the message. Luke, the sixth chapter, we're going to look at verses 12 and 16 again. And the message says this, at about the same time, he climbed on a mountain to pray. He was there all night in prayer before God. The next day, he summoned his disciples. From them, he selected 12. He designated as apostles. Simon, whom he named Peter, Andrew, his brother, James, John, Philip, Bartholomew, Matthew, Thomas, James, son of Alphaeus, Simon called the Zealot, Judas, son of James, Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. See, that's very interesting because a lot of people don't realize that there were two Judases. They were just thinking of the one who was the traitor. That's why this is so interesting to me. The selection of these 12 men by Jesus was extremely important in the history of the gospel. You see, it divided the ministry of our Lord into two portions, almost equal in duration, but unequal regarding the extent and importance of the work done. In the earlier portion, Jesus did all the work himself. His miraculous deeds were pretty much confined to a limited area. His ministry grew quite rapidly. The 12 men were chosen because the work of the kingdom had assumed so much dimensions that required organization and laborers. In other words, Jesus needed help, okay? Because he had all of these masses of people who were coming to hear his teaching. They wanted to know what was going on with this man, Jesus. And it, it was just getting to be like someone overwhelming. He knew he needed to have some kind of help. So now think about it. If Jesus needed help, it should be apparent that local churches do as well. We're not the son of God, okay, technically. So it would make sense that we would need a ministry of help to help carry out the gospel. Additionally, the teaching of Jesus was becoming deeper in nature in this second portion of his ministry. And his activities were also taking on a wider range. And his followers were definitely growing in large numbers and started to become a challenge in his movements because he wanted to be more widespread and move from one section to another. And, you know, we look at people nowadays and, you know, they all have their entourage and they think it's so great. How many people can we have coming with us? Okay, that's them. They have everything. Their motives are wrong. Jesus wanted to get to the people. So he knew he needed to, he couldn't take everybody. Because if he took everybody, he wouldn't be able to cover as much ground. So he had to get to a point of choosing a select group that could be close to him to help assist him with what needed to be done. And that was really a large portion of why he ended up deciding he was going to choose these 12 people. Now, we're going to get into the next time, because 35 seconds is not enough. We're going to get into a little bit more, and then we're going to start breaking down and 
This is going to be something where on this journey, I can promise you, we're going to get into these individual men one by one and find out a lot about them. And again, put it in juxtaposition to ourselves. And we're going to see who are we more like? Do we have some of the characteristics of Peter? Or are we more like John? And what about Bartholomew? That's like a name that is, you know, how come they don't start naming more children Bartholomew? I mean, you know, it's, it's like a nice name, but nobody really thinks about it that much. So we're going to go over all of those kinds of things. Our hope is that you received something that you could apply to your life and strengthen your faith. At Crenshaw Christian Center, New York, we believe that the Word of God is practical for everyday application. Feel free to stay in touch with us via social media, or you can give us a call at 212-749-9323. If you're in the New York area, you're welcome to join us at one of our services. Our Sunday morning service is at the New Yorker Hotel at 945 a.m. That's on 34th Street and 8th Avenue in New York City. Thanks again for listening, and remember, walk by faith, not by sight.